take a little bit of alcohol, we take a little bit of caroin, we take a little bit of cocaine, whatever, but we are pounding 21 teaspoons of this stuff through our body a day. An average cola is 12, 12 ounce cola is 12. That's just a 12 ounce or people are drinking a lot bigger than that. So anybody with any habit is doing uh, 30, 40 teaspoons a day of this product through their body. And now they've, the science is very clear on this in the last uh, five or six years. They slid in people, slide people into MRIs. They put a the little bit of sweet on their tongue because if they move, it screws up the thing. But they just put the little bit on their tongue and the, the MRI lights up just like someone is doing alcohol or drugs. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking to Michael Collins. But before I do that, I just have a little bit of housekeeping. If you are listening to this podcast, then I assume that there is some aspect of your life that is bothering you when it comes to addiction, namely alcohol, okay? So the two things I want to share with you. Number one, we have a free challenge going on at the moment on how you can get to the root cause reason of why you're drinking alcohol. Super duper important. If you want to take that challenge, get over to www.1000daysober.com. You'll see it at the top of the page. Leave your email in there and we will send you five spanking videos that will really help you get to the root cause reason why you are drinking alcohol. Number two, if you want to really change your life, if you want to change your life and transform and go much, much deeper than just quitting alcohol, then you need yourself a coach, okay? And I am a very good transformational specialist. So if you would like to work with me and learn everything I've learned about overcoming addiction and changing every facet of my life, okay, and um, learn to live a conscious life, learn to deal with a divorce, learn to stave off another one, uh, learning to communicate through conflict, learning to overcome addiction to sugar, cigarettes, alcohol, gambling, how to become a better father, how to start your own business, anything like that you want to get involved and you want personal coaching, Again, go over to 1000daysober.com and you'll find a way to do that. Or you just email me direct at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. All right. So without further ado, I'm just going to get straight into this uh, this week's guest. It's getting a little bit late here. You're going to be talking to Michael Collins. Now, Michael, he believes that sugar addiction is very real, not to be taken lightly. I agree, Michael. As a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder for over 35 years, Michael took a very keen interest in what sugar was doing to him and his friends in early recovery. And after much research and experimentation, he quit sugar with the help of amazing mentors. He then raised two children, sugar-free, from the womb to six years old. And as they grew, he rewrote the rules for sugar and kids in childhood. After a successful business career online selling software and information, Michael decided that what really made him happy was helping people with their addictions. He has written a book on sugar detox and addiction and developed an intensive online 30-day sugar freedom challenge. A firm believer in community support, he also has that covered as well. He is the founder of SugarAddiction.com and QuitSugarSummit.com. And his book, The Last Resort Sugar Detox, has been read by hundreds of thousands of people. And he also has an online 30-day challenge, Sugar Freedom Challenge. 
30-day challenge sugar freedom challenge. I don't know, something like that, okay? So if you want to quit sugar, okay, then Michael is your man, okay? I just said okay five times then, and I have no idea, okay? All right, I'm going to shut up. Obviously, I'm tired. Leave you in the capable hands of Michael Collins. Michael, 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 welcome. How are you diddling? I can tell by your aura that you're a very calm, chill guy. <laughs> I am indeed. I am indeed. That's, I, I, that's what I get all the time. I say, you're laid back, Mike. You're laid back. <laughs> Is that anything to do with the fact that you don't eat sugar? Um, or have you always been that way? Uh, I think marijuana did it to me years ago, but I think no flour, no sugar, and caffeine for 30 years will lay you, you know, will mellow you as well. No caffeine as well. Oh, we'll get to that. So what why um why sugar? What what was your journey? Tell us a little bit about why you decided to take on what I what I consider to be the greatest addiction of all. Whoa, I like that. It is truly the greatest addiction and all the greatest pandemic that the world has ever faced. I have a podcast version. It usually brings up more questions than it answers. But, you know, I grew up as a regular kid, I thought. Everyone uh, thinks that, I think. But my mother was a sugar junkie, my favorite sugar junkie. She gained 60 pounds on my birth and said she mostly ate sugar. And uh, so we would we literally had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could eat as much sugar on our cornflakes or our Cheerios as we wanted to. And we were scraping out half an inch, a quarter of an inch of sugar. Uh, with the milk at the bottom. And we make Kool-Aid with three times the sugar in the recipe. And, you know, it's kind of a sad story at the beginning. My mom, my grandma, my mother's mother died when she was only eight years old. And uh, they had to move in with her aunt. And they, the family owned the uh, country store across the way. And uh, any time that she went in there, they, you know, they, they made a deal. My grandfather made a deal that just give her the candy and, and let her have it. You know, it's a nice gesture for a child that lost his, their mom. But it set up something that's very important in, in the work that I do is that it made her believe that sugar was love and that sugar was what, you know, you got when you felt bad. And so uh, fast forward, you know, we went through our childhood with just crazy amounts of candy and ice cream. And it was just... It was just a very prevalent. We bonded on, we made these giant sugar cookie, sugar cookies every Saturday with her. And uh, she loved give, making us Christmas cookies. It was just a, you know, a sugar soaking. And uh, there's a great video on YouTube, which is irrelevant to the story. And that Eric Clapton, the famous guitar player, is sitting with Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes in his $7 million Antigua Treatment Center. And he says to him, so Ed says to Eric, he says, Ed, Eric, this uh, her this addiction thing, it started with heroin, right? And he said, no, Ed, it started with sugar. He said, I used to eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches when I was only five and six years old to change my state. Mm -hmm. And remember that, put a pin in it, because as we go on, it's a really important part of the story. So fast forward, I run into beer about 14 or 15 years old, and I knew that changed my state. I was convinced, obviously, because... I would. I was shy, and I was able to talk to girls, and we'd drink beer behind the high school and go to the dance, and I was all liquid courage, you know. I could definitely talk to the girls. So another fast forward, and we can talk about this if you like, but um, I got sober at 28 after running some of the largest nightclubs in the country and, and, you know, really having a huge party of it all. But I went right back to sugar, as mm. do most of the folks in 
the recovery movement um, and everywhere, but mostly in the recovery, they, you know, they use sugar as a substitute and gain, as I did, quite a bit of weight quickly. Most of them gained 20, 30 pounds quick and some much as 40 and 50 pounds in the first year. Anyway, so I started to, you know, research it a little bit and I ran across a book called Sugar Blues and Sugar Blues was written in the late 80s, uh, early, late 70s, early 80s. And the guy, the lady, the guy that wrote it is a guy named William Duffy. And Duffy was, a, he was a great, uh, he was an author at the time. And he was at a party, <laughs> you know, a pretty fancy party, but he was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee. And he heard a voice from behind and said, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. And he knew the voice. He turns around as Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. Mm. So he ends up marrying Gloria Swanson, and they promoted that book pretty heavily. But I fell in love with the idea of the history lesson. And he described, and I had never read about this back then, over 30 years ago. I never read that the you know, English empire was built on the backs of sugar and slavery. And they would go to the West of Africa, and they would pick up the slaves, and they'd go to the Caribbean and the Americas. And they would, I guess I just read yesterday, a couple of days ago, there was 3,200 sugar mills by the end of the 1800s uh, in the Caribbean. And that was all started in the 1500s, 1600s. And it just exploded Euro, uh, you know, Europe too, because France and uh, Spain got involved. And what happened is they, England took over the entire world. El Chapo, the great drug addict, the great drug <laughs> addict too, but a drug dealer never, you know, he had nothing on these guys. They they had so much money. And we went from five pounds, the average a human being went from five pounds to over a hundred pounds of sugar in that time period. Mm. So I love that story. And I still today talk about that we can't get out of this problem we're in in the world without figuring out how we got into it. Mm. Anyway, keep going in the story. My, I, uh, at the time, I got married to a woman who uh, uh, who I somehow talked into not having flour, sugar, or caffeine in the womb while she was pregnant, or and we lasted till they were six years old, where we kind of caved in, but we gained our resolve. So their entire childhood <laughs> did. It was it was we were fighting, and the grandparents in the Montessori schools, and it was really hard. So yeah. we ended up. Um, gaining our resolve back the next morning that day after the roller skating rink party. And for their entire child, they never had sugar in the house, but only once in a while outside birthday parties. And so about 12 years ago, my kid, I, like I went on to have a regular life. I went on to have a regular business career. And my kids, because obviously they were affected by this, I said, Dad, you should write a book about sugar and stop talking about it with us. We don't have any <laughs> sugar. And so you know, we, I did eventually. And, uh, but before that, about 10, 12 years ago, I bought the, uh, the domain sugaraddiction.com and I started giving out the best information on the planet. You know, I great blogs and great, all the up-to-date research and some people took and ran with it, but for the most part, nothing happened. And I was busy. It was part-time. So about three or four years ago, I was semi-retired and I was, I went back into it and I really started coaching and I started growing these forums and these groups and these meetings, um, you know, uh, go to meeting before Zoom and you know, a lot of stuff. And eventually uh, it just exploded and has exploded over the last three or four years. Hmm. And, uh, we found that the answer was the groups and the community that we had built. The information is important, but you can get that on Google. 
And so that brings me up to date, you know, as the the sugar-free man. And that's the the moniker they've given me, and I kind of adopted it. So that's how I got here. Well, thank you for the story, Michael. Um, as somebody who's given up pretty much every main addiction you can think of, sugar was definitely the biggest one for me, most challenging. When did you, can you remember the period when you thought you would, you'd give it a shot? And what did you find uh, difficult about it? Well, for me, I didn't have any help back then. You know, I, I was newly sober and the people in the recovery stuff said, would say, are you sober today? I say, yeah. They say, well, don't worry about the sugar and the flour or the caffeine or any of that crap. They used to call me the weird addiction specialist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's like, but I, you know, I was, my head rosacea still worse than when I was drinking. I had uh, adult acne really bad. I was gaining weight. I was lethargic and I really had to have it. I was drinking 16 ounce Mountain Dew, so six or eight a day, all kind. Of, I don't think I was eating any real food, just pasta and pizza and bread mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and I, it was trying to treat me like the drugs did. It was really dragging me down. And I had a hard time. It took me, and I don't recommend this, but it took me probably two years. I, I, I tried to get off the caffeine first. And I finally did. And then I tried to get out the sugar second. Each one took me six months, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth every day. And then the flour finally. But yeah, back then it was a lot of people were not uh, hip to the what's going on. And the new science has come out really in the last five or six years. So mm. it was hard, very hard. And when you're talking about sugar, how deep did you go? Because there's people listening to this could be thinking that it's just candy but when you really think about it, there's sugar in virtually everything that you buy in a supermarket, you know? So how, how far did you go with it? Yeah, that's, a, I get a lot of pushback on this and the, you know, we're a hundred percent abstinence. So the, the people, I just got my start in late stage food addiction. So in order to recover, you need 100% abstinence from flour and sugar, sugar mm. turns or flour turns to sugar in your stomach and, you know, grains are just, sugar holding hands you know it's that it, that turns to sugar pretty quickly as well and so uh because it sets up cravings you know about a third of people biochemically can't ingest the stuff without setting up cravings and that's the problem uh those nasty cravings that people think they need the stuff i always draw the parallel or the analogy of the person who's lost 100 or 200 pounds fallen to a right-sized body and kept it off over a time period, two or three years or longer, that person didn't really go through what the the uh, you know that seventy two billion dollar diet industry talks about. You know, they didn't just stop eat less and exercise more. They actually had to go through a, an emotional recovery. They had to actually change their emotional management system, just like someone who would recover from alcohol and drugs. And that's the key to our work. And that's the key to what we do is we've brought over, you know, a lot of the stuff that was learned in, in uh, recovery from alcohol and drugs over to the sugar. And the problem out there in the world is that people don't give it the respect that it deserves as a psychoactive drug or an emotional analgesic. And they don't, you know, they kind of, oh, I'm addicted to bread, I'm addicted to sugar, whatever. They think it's a joke uh, until they talk, you know, until they spend five minutes in my inbox or five minutes on my instant messenger and they can see all the pain that's out there. 
And people been, you know, like I said, they're 100, 200 pounds overweight, moving limbs, going blind, and they still can't get off the sugar. Uh, so this elevation, if you will, I like podcasts because podcasts are able to, I, I have an arc, a time of 30, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, to set this whole thing up. You know, I don't have a meat is murder or friends don't let friends drive drunk thing, an instant soundbite. It takes a little bit of time to set it up for people to understand exactly why they can't quit. Because a lot of people want to. All diets say, quit the white stuff. That's the core of every diet ever written. And But people try, and statistics prove that even people that lose a lot of weight, the CDC did a study on the biggest loser, and there's a lot of university studies where people will lose a large amount of weight but gain it all back in the first year. And they gain it all back simply because they don't understand what's happening to them emotionally and in their brain, in the brain chemical reward system, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA. So I, I hijacked your, your uh, question a little bit there, but your podcast, but, uh, you know, I'll get off my soapbox. But it's, it's true. I mean, it, it really is a little bit deeper than people know. Keep, keep going on that vein. Talk a little bit more about the emotional side of it and the neurochemical side of it, if you would. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Thank you. It, it really is the the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even your adrenals and your uh, endorphins are hijacked by this drug. And the big one, oxytocin, the bonding chemical, you know, they're all in some way, uh, your adrenal glands, everything is kind of hijacked by this product. Now, we take a little bit of alcohol, we take a little bit of caroin, we take a little bit of cocaine, whatever, but we are pounding 21 teaspoons of this stuff through our body a day, an average cola is 12, 12 ounce cola is 12. That's just a 12 ounce or people are drinking a lot bigger than that. So anybody with any habit is doing uh, 30, 40 teaspoons a day of this product through their body. And now they've, the science is very clear on this in the last uh, five or six years. They slid people, slide people into MRIs. They put a the little bit of sweet on their tongue because if they move, it screws up the thing, but they just put the little bit on their tongue and the, the MRI lights up just like someone that's doing alcohol or drugs. Yeah. And when you talk about the dose makes the poison, this is, you know, your dopamine, serotonin, all this stuff, this stuff never got a break since you were probably in the womb. In chemical or in uh, scientific terms, it's called uh, down-regulated, your dopamine the receptors are down regularly. You have they're thinned out. You have less of them, and serotonin is the SSRIs. You know the uh, anti-depressant uh, medicine and you know the anxiety medicines. I mean, people are trying to dial these things in. They'll they'll give you one. They'll give you this one. They'll take you this one away. They'll give you half of that one. They'll change your dose. Trying to dial in so you feel better. Well, people don't realize that they're actually doing this self-medicating. They're doing this with sugar, flour, and caffeine. They're playing with their dopamine. They're playing with their serotonin. So they're just right, you know, from their habit, from they understand that, you know, if you drink too many coffees, you can't, can't do your speech. Or if you don't drink enough coffee, or it won't be good for your, you know, you won't be performing mm. well. And so it's like the, the part that's difficult is that the new science is proving that these things are just as powerful in large doses as the, you know, the recreational drugs that people are abusing. 
Yeah, there's um, there's an aspect there that you touched upon, it's like the the paradigm, right? It's like my daughter's four. We were we well, I I was certainly adamant that she wasn't going to have any sugar when she was born. We found it a lot more difficult to control than I thought I would. But she was watching a little TV show on YouTube the other day. It's called uh, Blippy, you know. So she was watching this Blippy show for like ten minutes, and he was making lemonade. Mm. And he said um, he was making lemonade and, and, and teaching him how to make a lemonade stand. And she was enthralled into this thing. And uh, he turned around and said, "Now, now for the, the special ingredient." But but I got to tell you all, the children just like too much of this stuff is not good for you, right? Mm. Like, and now it's your sugar. Now we're going to put six tablespoons of this. So he said, this is not good for you. And then yeah. he put six tablespoons of the stuff in there. Right. Right. Like right. what, what is that? How is a four-year-old going to kind of like <laughs> get that in? Right. So, th- so there's this par- there's all the chemical side of it that's going on, but, and, 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 I, and I agree with you, like it's all starting out in the womb, but, but then there's also the story, right? Like, any one of these kids' books that I pick a pick up down here that I read to my uh, my nipper is, is like I was reading a one yesterday. It was about a, a young girl called Pinkalicious. She went to this guy called Mister Twizzler, and he had a cupcake factory, right? So, so when you go out to the street, what does she want? She wants a cupcake, right? And and then if she goes to, I remember she went to a party, and it was um, like an Alice in Wonderland tea party. This is where we've done really good to keep her off sugar. I can't, can't remember how old she was, maybe maybe two, maybe. Mm-hmm. And my wife called me. She said, we've got a problem. I'm at this tea party and everything is sugar. I'm not kidding you. Everything in here is sugar. And she's yeah. going crazy because mm-hmm. I, she's the only kid who's not allowed to have any of this stuff. Wow. So I just said, well, let her have some. We'll see where it goes. And boom, now we're always got problems. We're trying to keep, we're always trying to get decent stuff, which is keeping the cravings. I want to ask you on that, actually. So, but first, talk about the story and, 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 and almost like the, the, the system of life, which is propagating this belief that it is normal, it's the most mm. pleasurable thing in the world, and, and how, how addictive is that? Wow, I mean, you're hitting one of the core tenets of our program on the head. And, and, you know, yes, we have the physical, and yes, you have the behavioral, and yes, you have the emotional, but... It's really the cultural that's the difficult part because this stuff has been ingrained from birth to death for 300 years. There's no one alive, not even close to alive generationally, who remembers a life where we all ate whole foods and that sugar was a spice that was very expensive and very used very moderately because over the 300 years, it's been uh, ingrained in us culturally where now you can give this product to a one-year-old with no legal, moral, or or ethical ramifications. And it's just been a problem. What you're describing is exactly what I went through. I raised two sugar-free kids 30 years ago, 31 Mm. years ago now. Wow, that's a long time ago, actually. And we Mm. fought everyone, everyone, Mm. the Montessori schools, the regular schools, uh, the grandparents, the friends, parents, everybody thought we were depriving them, right? Mm. And we didn't give in for six years. It was hard as hell, but we didn't give in. And I do think my children came out better. Those first thousand days from conception to from uh, to year two, the brain grows so much. And now yeah. the American Pediatric Association, the American Pediatric Dental Association, and a couple of other uh, doctor organizations 
you know, have come out with an actual uh, recommendation that no sugar sweetened beverages at all for children below five years old. And I think they've even uh, upped the candy. That's the only change in the, in the dietary or one of the only changes in the dietary uh, guidelines for the United States about less sugar for kids under mm-hmm. five. So they're starting to get it, but it's still, that doesn't mean anything because it's perfectly okay to give it to a child and it is cultural and no one gets it yet. And this is the, the, the depth and the breadth of my work is to try and get the childbearing women. Cause I always say this, look, if a woman with a cigarette issue uh, or a substance use disorder finds out she's pregnant, I'm not kidding you. She's not even waiting until the next day. That mm-hmm. afternoon, she quits smoking cigarettes or that after day, she quits drinking or doing whatever drug she's doing when she finds out she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that needs to happen with, you know, sugar and stuff. And, you know, but, you know, people, it's, it's slow. We're, we're in the beginning of about a 30-year tectonic shift, like condoms in bathrooms and drinking and driving, smoking, public places, that kind of thing, where the science now says, hey, look, this is not going to happen. You know, this is, ever hear the term, the right side of history? We are on the right side of history. This is going to happen, yeah. which when is the question? And, you know, it's a cultural boondoggle that we've got to um, live with it. Because it really hurts my heart to watch overweight kids. We have an epidemic of fatty liver. This is an alcoholic's disease in children four, five, six years old and older. That mm. you know they because they can't process the amount of fructose, which is can only be processed in the liver. They just can't process it. They have fatty liver. And children don't mean to be mean, but when a child is overweight. Uh, you know, they get teased and their self-esteem is affected. And look, they didn't buy the damn groceries. They they were like just innocent bystanders. The parents bought the groceries up to, you know, before they could even get to a store. Yeah, you we know? we have a we have an assignment in our Stride Method for Addiction called the Gatekeepers, mm-hmm. really focusing on who's bringing the booze in the house, who's bringing the sugar in the house, who's bringing the cigarettes in the house, what's going on? Like how much did control did you have when you were younger and that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, it's something I, I come up with me when I'm, when I was thinking about it as more and more, I, as I get healthier and as I, I like to say, live more of a conscious life, I attract more people who live the same way. Right. Sure. Um, what I've started to see happening in my circles now, which never used to happen, is we went to park on the weekend and the, the family we were with, they had what they believed to be sugar-free candy, mm-hmm. which is, which is um, okay. So it's a step up. They're not giving the, they, they're trying, right? Yeah. You know, the, 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 the heart's in the right place. They're just a little bit uneducated. And then I'm, I'm like, well, I, I don't want my daughter to eat that. Right. And then they they go to give it to her because my daughter my daughter's like a we call it a scav in the UK right she's just hanging around them like to be given like leftovers so she's hanging around and the woman goes to give my daughter uh, this um, this thing and she stops and she says oh is this okay for her now a couple of things I just want to raise and then I'll just uh, open you to free form is one her instinct to just give right so her her instinct to just give this drug 
to mm. my child without mm. even asking for permission. And that is unusual. Normally, it's just given without permission. Yep. Like people would just, you go into a, a dentist, they'll give them a fucking lollipop. Be like, whoa, I don't want you to give them the lollipop. On, a, on an airplane to try to keep her quiet, on, I think it was the Asian Atlantic, they were trying to give her sugar and they didn't mm. speak English. I'm like, fucking leave her alone. Like, <laughs> like she doesn't want that stuff. So, so there's, that, there's that aspect of it. And there's also the aspect of the uncomfortable conversation that has to go on between the adults when the adult says, is this okay for her? And then all of a sudden you're thrust into a status hierarchy. Does she think I'm a smart ass or better than her how does she feel when i say no i don't give that stuff to my children and she does like it is so uncomfortable i mean do you have anything to say on that i hope you're enjoying our conversation around sugar now just an important news flash um, some of you will be aware of this some of you won't when it comes to sugar addiction it's really important to understand that there's something else below that there's another reason why you are using sugar um, as a self-soothing technique and finding that reason what i call the root cause is really important when it comes to overcoming any addiction okay get over to www.1000daysober.com join our alcohol light bulb challenge and i promise you in five days i will guide you to the root cause reasons that you drink alcohol or in this case the root cause reasons why you eat sugar back over to michael collins Oh, I've got volumes to say on that. I mean, <laughs> you're a hundred percent right. You went through it. I went I through it at a time yeah. when nobody was woke. Every like nobody. at least now people are waking up, right? Yeah, no, you're right, and that's exactly what happened. And so it does happen exactly the way you described. The fact that the woman even asked is a miracle in itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a guy over there in the UK. He's a dentist. He's been on our summits. We have this quit sugar summit every year, twice a year now, but. Um, he, we interviewed him and he has something called the rewards project mm -hmm. and the rewards is a nonprofit. His name is James Galulik, G O O L N I K. I think, um, nice guy, real nice guy. And he, uh, he's trying to revamp how children are rewarded. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, everything at soccer practice in schools, they, they get, like you say, they give them the sweets and this is just normal. Yep. And it's not normal. It's not right. You know, it's not it's not what will continue. 50 years from now, they're going to say, you know, they used to give sugar to kids, right? I see. I be, no, really. It's going to be, a, yeah, it's going I to agree, be a, I agree. An, an adult treat. One of my mentors says you need to have it. You should have an ID and be 18 to buy the stuff right now. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the societal piece of the puzzle that you're describing, and that's for adults too. remember now, uh, same exact thing goes on where you're ending up uh the ad man out you know the food pushers are come on i baked this special for you all, you know all mm. this crap that you know that that they it sugar is love or sugar sugar is part of the 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 cultural bonding necessity it's just not it's just mm. not mm. and so yeah i mean this is the things that you if you're going to if someone is listening is thinking of taking this on they need to be aware of and moreover they need to have other people like you and me who are um woke and i know i like that term the kids came up with woke and to the point where they uh are willing to talk with another group of people who do believe this and there's mm -hmm. a few of us out there not many but there are a few 
because you're not, you just have to accept it. It's kind of like the reason that they had Alcoholics Anonymous be anonymous back in the day, because most people were not going to accept the idea of a disease and, and that kind of stuff. And it was, in, you got in chop, trouble with your job if someone knew. Mm. And so this is the same thing. You've got to be with a group of people, a tribe of people, uh, just like I've read a little bit about your work, you know, th those kinds, you have to have a different group to, to, to accomplish these things. And that's uh, how it's done. It gives you the confidence to practice these, mm. this new way of being, this new way of talking, like give, let me, like the example I gave you about this weekend, right? Like I am so practiced now mm. in saying to people in the right way so they don't feel yeah. like I'm judging them and I'm not trying to be a smart ass just by saying, no, these are the choices I make. Mm -hmm. But there are, there are a lot of people who come to 1,000 Days Sober that is so terrifying that they don't stop using because they just don't want to have that conversation. So when yep. you build a community like you've done, like I've done it, we can say to them, okay, all right, let's practice this. Cause it's not as bad as we think it's going to be when you get it in your head that a, you're not giving anything up and B you, you're prideful about it. You're be proud. Like you should be really proud that you're taking care of yourself, like, mm -hmm. and, and, and not feeling ashamed that yep. you're doing the right thing. I mean, it, I think the the thing that I see is um, I did something called the elimination diet, right? Mm -hmm. Where I just took, and I'm vegan, so it was really challenging. Um, I this I'd already given up sugar anyway, but I in, in terms of what I perceive sugar to be, right? But mm -hmm. then I took everything out because I was still getting inflammation. Mm. So I ended up the only protein sources that I was eating was um, tempeh, split peas. And azuki, oh, mung beans, right? So that, that was my only protein sources outside of things like artichokes. And uh, I couldn't eat peanut butter, like almond butter. Mm. And I felt a million dollars, right? I felt a million dollars. I felt physically, mentally, and spiritually the best I'd ever felt in my life. And I was, you know, well, I'm 46 now. So when did I do this? Maybe 44. Mm -hmm. But when I describe to people how I'm feeling so cool, like I don't have to put too much energy into what I'm eating because I can only eat a certain number of things. People mm -hmm. are horrified, Mike. They look at me and they're like, what a fucking <laughs> terrible life you must have. Like, I feel really sorry for you. Um, yep. You must be really horrible for you that you can't have X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no. And I think part of the problem and what you think is that people have become so sick that their, their, their level of homeostasis or what they, what they believe to be their, their fifth gear, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually their first gear, but they have no idea that they're stuck in first gear. They, they, could, they might even be able to run like, I don't know, run like five miles a day, right? right. But they could run a freaking marathon. They just don't, they don't understand it because they haven't they're not yeah. been in that situation. Oh man, I, I can't, I couldn't agree more. One of the most uh, prevalent comments I get after, you know, 90 days of abstinence is I didn't know I could feel this good. And you probably yeah. get that a lot too. It's, I just didn't know I could feel this good. And people get scared. I mean, they call it a pink cloud. They just have never felt this physically good before. Now the emotional stuff, there's still a little bit of a wrestling match and, you know, you've got to learn how to do that. Uh, with other methods, whether it's walking or running yoga, you know, making love, getting a hug, getting a massage, done a lot of self-care stuff. But yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and I agree a hundred percent about the homeostasis and people thinking that they're, 
you know, this is life, that this is aging. We did a meme the other day that people think aging and, uh, but it's really just the sugar addiction was the biggest thing we ever did to get shared, I don't know, three, 400 times. And people were just amazed that it, it's so true that mm. all of these quote unquote aging diseases, the blind, you know, the, you know, losing your sight, uh, joint. And one of the things we get all the time is joints, uh, hands and, and knees, hands mm. and knees, everybody's hands and knees. The pain goes away almost immediately. The brain fog goes away. You start processing better. You start feeling better. Uh, you can focus better. Uh, you know, your skin clears up. That's before the weight. You know, they came for the vanity. They stayed for the sanity. I love that. It's like they they came because they thought they wanted to lose. They needed to lose weight. Um, but what they discover is that all of the other benefits of you know not using this product. So yeah, it's a. It's hard. And here's what, here's what I find as a marketer, as was my career back in the day, people don't want this, I, this, this thing. They, they want cute clothes and golf clubs. They, they, they don't want uh, a 30-day challenge. They don't want to uh, have pain, go through pain so that they can then have pleasure. They're just not interested. They don't, don't want to be group joiners. They, so what I got to do is I have to bolt on to the ever-popular sugar sugar detox stuff that's all the rage out there on the internet and then when they get inside i ease them towards these ideas that you and i are discussing so yeah. that they can possibly extend it into a lifestyle and not just a 30 days and then go back to your old life which what good does that do might be yeah. might be more harmful than good yeah i i was um reviewing a a video we're just about to do a a 12 day free training for um, helping people to learn more and understand more about alcohol addiction. I want to, and I was just reviewing the videos. Like I said, them off to an editor to play around with them. And I was just watching it this morning. And, and I, I said, the problem with most stuff you find out there um, is they're trying to, they're trying to sell to you a quick fix because they know that you won't, you won't mm. buy into anything else. Right. right. It's like it's a short term solution for a real long term problem, because really nobody's interested in giving up drinking alcohol forever. No. Even someone said to me the other day, a thousand days sober. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, I created that on purpose because we're serious. Like, you know, we I could have called it a lifetime sober, yeah. uh, but a thousand days was 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 more exciting. So I'm the same as you. I, I'm caught between that um, something t- tugging at my moral strings. Uh, whilst at the time, same time going, no, Lee, but if you just get them in the door, you'll be able to help them see the light. You'll be able to help them understand um, and find their own power and their own unused resources. And they'll be able mm-hmm. to, they'll be able to smash this thing. You know, I mean, yep. it's interesting. Yeah. Like when you said, um, I didn't know it could feel this good. Mm-hmm. You know, when people come to 1000 days sober, primarily to stop drinking alcohol, um, we don't get to hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, not as much. The feelings are only temporary, and the reason is, is because a lot of people stop drinking alcohol, but they don't change anything else. Yeah. And then if you, and then, and then it's only a matter of time before you end up back where you was, mm-hmm. uh, because you're not. We we call it like we say choices. So we say you're making the primary choice to stop drinking. Right. You've got secondary choices to help you stop drinking. I'm going to listen to Lee's podcast and all that kind of stuff, right? I'm not going to go to a pub. I'm not going to have alcohol in the house. But unless you make that fundamental choice, 
mm-hmm. to live a conscious life, right. which means, hey, not only am I going to give up drinking alcohol, but I but I've got to like. And I've got to meditate every now and then. I've got to be more mindful. I've got to be more present for my kids. I've got to stop shouting at my wife. Like, and when you start to work on this stuff, you realize that there's a massive link between what you're putting in your body and what you're spewing out in terms of how you lose your shit, how you mm. can't deal with your emotions. You know, it's like, yeah. and what's it that someone said to me the other day, which was amazing. There's so much of the world that we don't even know that we don't know it. It's not like, it's it's like, we know what we know. We know what we don't know, but there's so much of stuff that we just don't even know that we don't know. I'll give you an example. When I did, uh, when I got all everything out, that was causing me inflammation of which sugar is a big thing. Let's go back a bit. So as I'm getting older, like, you know, I'm 46 now. Right. So as you get older, what, what do I, what do I associate with like, uh, older age? I, I, I pee a lot at night, right. Starting to get a bit of gray air. Um, but here's one thing that definitely happened to me. I started to pee myself. <laughs> so I would go to the toilet, I'd have a pee, I'd give it a good shake, I'd wait, I'd give it another good shake, I'd stick it stick it back in the pants, I'd walk off and I'd piss down my leg, right? And I'd be thinking, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> I did this elimination diet and it stopped. Yep. yep. And, I, and I spoke to the, the doctor, he said, that will be inflammation. Mm. Now, who on earth would ever think that stopping eating sugar would stop you pissing your pants. Well, it's one of the main symptoms of diabetes and pre-diabetes is frequent urination. Ah, okay. Okay. Yep. Mm. Absolutely. That's one of the symptoms mm. and uh, it'll definitely cause it. And uh, yeah. And we, that's sleeping through the night without peeing is like one of the biggest benefits people ever get. They just love that shit. They love it. Yeah, especially, sure. especially when you share in a bed with a four-year-old like I am. <laughs> then it becomes even more important. Um, talk a little bit about cravings because um, how do you help people deal with the cravings? What's, what's, your, what's your secret sauce? Yeah, the, the cravings are interesting beast. You know, it's, uh, I, I like to say people are not really cra- craving sugar. They're craving a dopamine hit. The brain wants to get a dopamine hit. It'll go to illicit sex illegal gambling, it will do anything it has been trained before, unconsciously or consciously, to get uh, relief from uh, whatever, you know, to get the little dopamine squirt. And that is when I tell people that if you're an adult of any age, you're probably not actually having cravings. You're just, you're at the beginning stages of withdrawals, and you're just trying to get back to even. You just want to get back to not feeling bad. And that's what uh, you know, I got to get into their head because, you know, everybody's, you know, thinking and the cravings are an interesting constellation of everything. It's really hard to describe, but, you know, your your car can drive itself to the 7-Eleven, your brain wants it, your belly wants it, you want the taste or the crunchy or the smooth or whatever. So you get this hankering, this craving for it. It's a weird, the body is definitely working against you in, in that case but the only real true um solution is abstinence because physically the cravings go almost to zero after 30 days if you don't have it in your body you don't have it so there is a time period where it is 
you know, one minute at a time or one hour at a time. You just go for a walk, get a drink, a big glass of water, brush your teeth, all these kind of tricks that we have to make sure you don't ingest the sugar. And once you get, you know, through the, like if you're an adult of any habit size at all, in the days two to six or seven, you're going to be incapacitated if you try and do flour, sugar, and caffeine at the same time. I've seen it a hundred times, more than hundreds and hundreds of times where people, you know, they're like, I can't get out of bed. It's the worst flu I've ever had, whatever. And because they're just, the toxins are coming out of their body. The body is finally, and it's not just the toxins that are sugar, flour, and caffeine. It's now that the body stopped uh, having to process sugar, flour, and caffeine, it can start on other toxins that were embedded in your fat. And, you know, they start to go into your bloodstream. It just makes you feel like crap. Mm. And so, uh, my suggestion is always hydrate, sleep, walk, and make time for those four or five days because it's, it's very real. It's very physical. You're going to be tired. You're going to be angry. You're going to be lonely. You're going to be depressed. And it's not like you need to go to the doctor and get some kind of depression medicine. It's a physical thing where the dopamine is now no longer being pushed manually by you ingesting the substance. It's just flat. It's just like you're not getting back to normal by the push of the sugar. So you're just going to feel blue for a few days and you just got to get through to the other side. It's very helpful. We, you know, we don't ascribe to any of the diet culture, uh, the $72 billion diet culture that says, you know, eat less and, and exercise more. We have people walk and that's the only thing because too much roller coaster of you know lifting weights or aggressive kind of stuff or sprinting or running it, it just it, it 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 destabilizes so just walk an even amount good amount and that'll help recalibrate your brain chemicals to get through to the other side mm-hmm. but once you get physically to the other side of 30 60 90 days i mean the mental game kicks in and your use of the product becomes at that point you know uh, are you, and you can, if you're journaling it out, you can see it becomes something that is, you know, you're consciously using this to numb out mm-hmm. and then, you know, you're, you're in a good place, but you're also in a dangerous place. So yeah, physically it's, there's a little bit of, I don't want to say, you know, draw your line in the sand and stick with the, you know, people that are doing it and do all the little tricks we have, but some level, the resolve has got to come from within a little bit, you know? Talk about that numbing out a little bit because it's not something that I can identify with when it comes to sugar. Maybe it's something that I've just never thought about before. Like yeah. I can't, I can, I can obviously picture when I used to numb out when I used to drink. I can, I can picture using pornography too for for different reasons. But for yeah. for sure, for sh- and gambling for for different reasons, right? Sugar for me was I always thought it was I just love this stuff. Mm-hmm. And my body's telling me I want it, but I never, I never put numbing together with it. So just, just enlighten me on that a little bit. You're not alone. It's absolutely an unconscious process, right? And it goes way back to the childhood thing where, you know, your mom was busy and she had other kids and a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, you were crying and instead of getting down and, and uh, you know, giving you a hug and say, what's wrong, dear? She'd give you a cookie and that would stop the crying and get you on to, you know, give her five or 10 minute break. And so we learn unconsciously or consciously, but mostly 99% unconsciously that 
this reward when we're anxious or worried or fearful or scared or something that we would move to this product. And it's almost ubiquitous and almost free. Uh, you can always get a hit of it. And so, you know, fast forward and, you know, when's the last time you saw a movie where a woman got dumped by her boyfriend and didn't have an ice cream party? Yeah, it's yeah. literally become a cultural norm because it assages feelings of worry, fear, hurt, and guilt. And you're not doing it consciously. And what's happening is even the little stress, a little stress with the wife, a little stress with the boss, a little stress with the kids. And you just, you know, uh, I don't want to think about it right this minute. And a little bit of pop of sugar just puts it off till the next day. The problem didn't go away, but mm. the feeling and look, it doesn't have to be sexual abuse or, you know, physical violence. It can be, you know, you've heard of ACEs, you know, the whatever it is, the childhood, adverse childhood experience, kind of the trauma stuff. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of times people are using, the, and this is very common in people that are honest about losing a couple hundred pounds. They were always physically or sexually abused. You know, and they were covering it up. They just didn't want to, they didn't want to feel it. And when you get sober from sugar, you have to start feeling it. And on top of it, you've got to find new systems of emotional management to do everyday stuff, just the everyday stresses. And now you got the two of them running parallel and the world is naked. Your, your emotions are naked and you got to deal with new ways to, 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 uh, to manage them. I'm so glad I asked you that question. Because yeah. um, this morning I was doing some work on Eric Erickson's eight stages of psychosocial development. Sure, and it was for um for a week that we're doing here at uh, at One Thousand Days Sober on shame, yeah. and um, I was we were focusing on stage two, which is the age between two and four, which my daughter is now. And Erickson says at that age, the kids are going through this battle between autonomy, stroke, shame, and doubt. So they're trying to go out in the world. They're trying to say, fuck you, mom and dad. I want to do my own thing. They're screaming and shouting at you. They're sticking their fingers up holes. They shouldn't be sticking up and they're playing with things that they shouldn't be playing with. And how you deal with them as an adult, like if, I, if my daughter's playing around with herself and I'm like, like, stop playing, stop playing with yourself. Right. And I mm. shame her. Then she could develop toxic shame as yeah. opposed to when I was younger I remember really talking very openly to my mom about my genitalia, that kind of thing. So I mm. developed healthy shame, right? Mm. So what Erickson is saying is at these different stages of life, you either almost get your psychological badge and it enables you to evolve into the next stage as a more whole adult mm -hmm. or a child, right. or you fail and you don't get your kind of badge and you end up, you know, you didn't really move into the next stage fully formed. And that could be a lot to do with your caregivers. I never thought, but now I am, that our personality traits are almost like you can call it your false self is being created through safety mechanisms to keep you safe. So if my mom and dad are not here, they've abandoned me. I'm going to uh, scream and shout as a way to keep me safe because I, I don't want to be alone. I'm now thinking, as you were talking, the sugar falls into the same category, like you say, that at some point when we were younger, almost like when we were experiencing high emotions, sugar was used as a way to soothe those emotions. That got locked into our personality archetype 
at a two-year-old to four-year-old. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, you're 46, 47, 50, someone's shouting at you, you've had a bad day, and unconsciously you go back to the two-year-old and go and have a chocolate bar. 100%. Exactly correct. Very good. Very good uh, or, uh, summary of it. That's exactly right. Mm. That's exactly I never correct. thought. I, do you know why I never thought of that before? Because my head was always in alcohol. Yeah. And, and I always assumed, okay, yeah, I get it in Ericsson's adolescent stage. Mm-hmm. So when we're going through 12 to 19, alcohol, yeah, I can totally see how we're using alcohol in order for us to, as a, as a defense mechanism, as a need to fit in, as a need to be liked. I, I, I just bypass sugar, obviously, because I'm not thinking about it, mm-hmm. but I can see how sugar, from the moment they are born, mm-hmm. the very first, in utero even, to the way they come out, it's sugar, sugar. When I was younger, we'd we'd have a our bottle would have sugar, sugar water in it, and all kinds of shit. I know, and I, you know, you know that the common construct in recovery from alcohol and drugs is if you're 14 or 15 and you start using drugs, you stop growing emotionally. This is a very yeah, well known yeah. and common construct, and. Uh, your life's a mess, your finances are a mess, your relationships are a mess, because you didn't deal with this stuff emotionally. You, you, you checked out, you used the drugs instead. Think about it, and this is very, uh, for the people who are honest, who have had success in recovery, this stuff started when they were exactly the ages you're describing, mm. probably younger than two, but that's when it started. They started a pattern of emotional management with sugar, and you know, a lot of them, when you're over, when you're an overweight child, you just have never, think about never having a true ability to manage your emotions, to, yeah. to know what to do when you're upset that doesn't revolve around a substance, right? Yeah, and yeah. so that's the hard part for me to educate into folks who are 46 years old, who, you know, are 200 or 100 pounds overweight, and that I have to tell them about these, you know, constructs. And they say, what's my diet plan? What do I eat? Because they've been drilled this from the diet industry for 50 years. Mm, and so it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change a thing. And the studies, I, I don't know if I mentioned I've, I've done so many podcasts, but I mean, it's very common that people, when they lose a bunch of weight, they gain it all back they and then some. Hmm. Yeah, because they're not they're not solving the problem. They're putting a Band-Aid on the problem via exercise or good diet for 30 or 40 days. And then they go right back because now some emotional thing comes up, some divorce or financial or whatever comes up. And now they're you know right back in the sauce, you know, I guess an- another problem. Um, let's say you've got somebody who has developed an addiction to chocolate. So their, their, their paradigm is I'm addicted to chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to stop eating chocolate, but at the same time, in their diet, there's a high level of sugar use. Mm. And they're not dealing with the emotional fallout and the trauma and doing that kind of inner child work. I guess the, the real problem is that the, the use of the other sugar substances are actually replacing the chocolate. So you're never really doing what you say. Like, you look at the bell curve. So like you're at homeostasis, you get anxious, you get anxious. You're like, oh my God, like I'm in massive kind of like parasympathetic nerve state. I don't know what to do. And now the body actually has the ability to naturally get back down homeostasis through because we're human. Um, Mm. but, But this person doesn't know how to do that. 
they don't eat chocolate anymore. So they'll just go and have a pasty or they'll have like a pizza or they'll have a, some bread, like 15 slices of avocado and toast thinking they're being healthy. <laughs> and then that means that they're only a, like literally chocolate is just, just, just there. It's just round the corner because they really aren't divorcing themselves from it. Like they think they are. Yeah. No, that's exactly. why you need the abstinence. Yeah, you got to have the abstinence. It's just so important part of the process. You can't seem to, you're not going to know, you know, and I call, look, I call it a scratch test. Like if you go to the allergist, you know, you get a scratch for um, pollen and ragweed and dust or whatever. See if you're allergic to something. Mm. And I call it adulting. You know, if this is something you think is uh, interesting to you, if you had difficulty with weight and sugar and, and, you know, health issues, diabetes too, or whatever, um, I have so many people that have diabetes too and still can't quit sugar. It kind of boggles my mind a little bit. But if that's the case, give yourself the grace of 30 or 60 or 90 days. I've never gotten anybody to 90 days and have them go back. Now, they may mm. slip occasionally, but we have effectively screwed up their sugar use because their skin is better, their brain is better, they're falling to a right-sized body. And if they want to experiment with something, say they want to try some keto bar or they want to try some shake or some pill or something they try it with the n1 experiment of a clean body and usually 99 out of 100 times they have an adverse reaction because when you're when you're pounding all that sugar you're so inflamed you don't really get the actual uh, effect of some of this stuff this other stuff that you would eat right this stuff that i you know i don't agree with either which is you know, mostly I call it powder addiction. Anything's ever been reduced to a white powder. The body was, there's too much surface area. It, it, it's uptake. Michael Moss's new book, blow your mind. It's really about the hooked, right? Mm. How the food giants exploit our free will and then food giants and, and our addictions. Mm. It, the bottom line is how fat the, the power of something's addictive nature is how fast it gets taken into the body and sugar yeah. is less than six tenths of a second uptake to the brain, Fancy. like hits the tongue, boom, right up mm -hmm. to the brain. You know what I mean? From doesn't go past go, doesn't collect $200, doesn't go through the digestive system, goes right into the mouth and right into the brain, you know, right in the blood system. And so it's not, you know, anything until you get a body that is, what we evolved for 10 million years up to just 300 years ago, until you get that body back, you can't answer your own question of listening to your body. People say this phrase a lot, but they're not really able to if they can't. I read this thing the other day, or somebody was telling me about it, that down in the Amazon, uh, there's a shaman who, before he does his thing, before he does his ceremony or anything, he forcefully goes four or five days uh, with no sugar because he can't get the same message if he doesn't. And right. this is like a perfect example of, you know, of someone who's in tune with their body and they know what's going on. You know what I mean? And this is, it's most people don't have that awareness because they're so inflamed from this toxin. Well, Michael, it's been fascinating having you on. My brain is kind of like going in a moment. I, I just remembered like my, my granddad, he's passed now. He, he had one of these old cine cameras, right? Like yeah. the old, so this footage of me when I was a kid, 
there's no there's not many many photos but there's a few videos of me my dummy in my mouth running around his sweet shop <laughs> mm. and they always used to give IBA I could have whatever I wanted because I was spoiled and I'm now and now just talking to you connecting the sugar and the soothing mm. a safety mechanism so I'm going to explore that because I'm I'm due I'm due a chat with my mom about my my childhood so I'm going to slip the sugar conversation in there <laughs> <laughs> ask her how many pounds she gained my mom gained 60 pounds on a 105 five pound frame Mm. So I uh, ask her, they'll, you know, it'll give you an indication. It really, I, like I said, I raised my kids, no sugar and it. There, there, it made a difference. It does make yeah. a difference. And I, you know, it, I think we start, I really genuinely believe that I got, I don't you know, blame my mother or anything. It was the culture, but you know, short change in the dopamine department. I think I was down regulated yeah. before I came out of the womb. Yeah. You know, my dopamine. And so it takes me like now today, with a healthy diet and good sleep and good water. If I don't walk after two or three days, I'm like, I got, you know, I can feel it. Like I'm not steady. I've got to get back. And, and I can mm. feel, even when I don't really work hard or run or anything, I can feel calm. I feel that, you know, two, three mile walk, what it does for me. And then that'll last for a day and a half or two, you know? Well, Michael, you're very, very knowledgeable about your subject matter, which is really, really important. Everybody, you want to do some work with Michael Collins? You want to test out this sugar thing? You want to feel what it's like to be on top of your game and get out of that first gear? Get over to www.1000daysober.com. Go to the podcast page, Michael Lavi's own little page there, and you can find uh, the links to um, his last resort, sugar detox, his 30-day challenge as well. And uh, you heard him, this is serious, serious stuff. Get to it. Michael, it's been really good having you on here. I wish you all the best in the future and hope you reach the lives of millions because uh, they need it. Thank you, sir. You too. Keep up the great work. Like I said, I've read a little of your stuff and I really think you're on to something. So keep it up. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Collins. Hey, you know, I got to hold my hands up, right? Like I have, oh, I've quit sugar. I don't eat sugar, right? And I'm very good at coaching people. But Michael Collins seems to be the heavyweight champion of the world when it comes to focusing on sugar addiction. So go check him out. Go check him out. Put your hand in your pocket. Stop buying um, curly whirlies and give your money to Michael instead because he will help you add years to your life, right? Years to your life. Sugar, honestly, of all the addictions that I try to overcome, sugar is the most challenging. So um, if you are struggling with your sweet tooth, get over and see Michael Collins. Right. Uh, before you go, if you want to work with me and get that personal touch and get to the root cause reasons why you are drinking alcohol, if you want to do that inner child work, if you want to understand your trauma, if you want to understand your emotions and the gifts and the shadow side of it, if you want to understand your masculine energy, your feminine energy, if you want to know why you keep fighting in relationships all the time, or when you get triggered when your wife tells you to not use that much toothpaste, then email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. We'll get on a call and uh, see if we are a good fit to work together. All right. It is the best way uh, to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol working with a personal coach. I'm telling you that for nothing. Until next week, take care of yourselves and thank you as always for tuning in.